Everything said on this podcast is strictly the opinion of Larry as a private citizen. It does not reflect any professional opinion. It does not constitute legal advice. It does not in any way reflect the opinion or the position of any other entity or any other person. This is strictly for entertainment purposes. Enjoy. It's your boy, Larry Luciato Crane. It's episode 20, is it 24? Episode 24 of the Logic and Larry podcast. I'm your host, Larry Crane. Sorry I'm a little bit late. I got into it with a little, uh, with a gentleman on Facebook. What else is new? Just arguing the merits of a certain law. This individual had some very fixed notions on why things were the way they were. His banner photo on Facebook was a picture of a burning, inflamed police cruiser, so I guess you can guess where his beliefs were, and they weren't very movable, but I was not going to allow him to just spout nonsense and mistruths because he's preconditioned to do so. I had to just drop some knowledge so anybody reading that thread would uh, understand what was going on, the real facts of the matter, which don't always boil down to things people would love them to sure the same individual with the burning police cruiser as his Facebook banner photo is probably very, very concerned about the vandalism that happened at the Capitol. Of course, that is horrible, but uh, I digress. You know why I, I couldn't allow that to go on even though I was going to be late to the podcast? The reason was I had to just lay a line, right? A logical line that couldn't be crossed. Because if there's misinformation and bad facts out there and they're allowed to percolate and they're allowed to sit there and other people are allowed to see those misfacts and restate and retweet and repost those false facts and go about their business believing those false narratives, then we are doing what? We're degrading our dialogue. We're operating on a false premise. We've talked about this. And you know why I couldn't allow that line to be breached today? Just before I got on the podcast? Well, I couldn't do it because I'm inspired by this whole crew on this podcast. I've been, I gotta be honest with you. I've been looking around, I've been just seeing stuff pop up on Facebook. And maybe it's the algorithm that knows that you guys are my people, you know, I don't know. But I've been just seeing, (laughs) just straight up, cold, hard, factual knowledge. Cold, hard, factual knowledge being dropped out there by so many of you. I look around, I I turn on today, I see Devon out here just dropping knowledge on oil prices on a status that people were really uh, off about. I just turn around and I see him just dropping knowledge. And I'm like, that's that's Devon. Now he's just out here just dropping knowledge, period. Correcting misinformation. People are seeing that knowledge and learning. Then I turn around, I see Rick. I see Rick in an unrelated news post just going back and forth with people in the most cerebral, logical, objective way ever. And then Paisan comes in, drops some more stuff on the oil 
status, and then Jay Vreeland's out here making comments to people, and I, I'm inspired. I'm just inspired that what we tried to set out to do, we're starting to do, we're setting the example, and most importantly, we're setting the parameters of objective, factual conversations. And that is beautiful. And so I had to partake as well today, and I couldn't just let misinformation go unchecked. So we start off another night like we have the entire duration of the time this show's been running with a quick point on the COVID-19 pandemic. As I sit here from my Newark high-rise window, I see the Empire State Building. I see the skyline, the smoke permeating from buildings and different stacks because it's freezing cold outside and it's more visible in the cold air. Snow coats the ground, traffic moves at a steady but sparse pace, and COVID-19 is still upon us. But today, or I think it was yesterday, we had the happy announcement that Biden administration and federal government has ordered 200 million more doses of the Pfizer vaccine. They will be supplied by the end of July. Now, the interesting thing here is that that's a month faster than we wanted, initially thought it would be, right? We thought we'd have a lot enough doses going out by the end of June. It's going to be May now. Uh, we went from about 1 million doses of the vaccine per day about a month ago, which was on January 23rd. On January 23rd, we had uh, 1 million shots per day going into people's arms. By February 11th, which was yesterday, we had 1.6 million shots per day. If we can get up to 2 million or 3 million per day, we can reach herd immunity by the summer. So if we reach herd immunity by the summer, then things can finally go back to normal and we can get on with our lives. Of course, Logic and Larry will continue because we need to continue to drop knowledge. So that's the good news we have with COVID. COVID still rages, but folks, we are... I said we were turning the corner a long time ago. Maybe I was a little premature, but I don't think I'm being premature this time when I say we are finally, finally turning the corner on COVID-19. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, just like this beautiful week that I had. It was a productive week. As I said, you guys all inspired me. I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by great artists, great people, that we are doing different collaborative projects together. We are collaborating on different endeavors, and it's a beautiful thing, and I can't wait for all of you to hear the continued things that I try to put together uh, just to put out some good energy into the world. And I really look forward to you guys uh, continuing to hear that. Now, I did bring up early in the show this idea of a line, right? A logical line that I that I said could not be breached, right? That I had been inspired by all of you to a point that no matter how much I might fear re reaction, no matter how much public sentiment or a common narrative or a mass hysterical group think might thwart or might be oppressive when I try to stand for something that is simply factually correct and that I believe to be true and that I believe to be principled. You know, that I have to stand up for that regardless of the fear, right? 
And I think the theme of what I want to talk about tonight, which is really the theme of this week, is this idea of a line, right? A boundary. A boundary where what is factual, what is factually before us, what we know to be true, what we've seen unequivocally to be proven, whether it be a principle or a fact or an established fact that leads to a principle, we as people truly need to be able to stand up and say, this is the line, right? I may partake in some messaging campaign, I may partake in some placation to advance my own fame or my own popularity up to a certain extent. But if you cross this line, this unequivocal, objectively unbreachable line that infringes upon all that is true, the reality that we have to premise our conversations on, and all that we value to be right and just, I cannot allow you to further breach that line, and I will stand on that line, and I may die on that line figuratively from a popularity standpoint, because I will not go down as unprincipled or untruthful. We need to all embrace that line. And since the insurrection, it's ironic and it's somewhat symbolic, based on what I just said, that they actually have erected a fence line around the Capitol. A fence line around the White House and around the Capitol building, a line, a line further out than it had ever been before, that doesn't allow the people close to their building, close to their government. The line has been pushed back because the line was breached and the trust was breached during the insurrection. And now, as this impeachment trial continues on, and we all got to bear witness to some of it this week, this figurative line comes back into play, where we hear how different senators are viewing the evidence that was advanced, and how different senators plan to vote on whether to convict former President Donald Trump or not for the inciting of an insurrection. Now, it was important that, that last week when Rick called, one of the things Rick said in, in discussing this objectivity and this line that we have to stand on as thinkers, as intellectuals, he said that one of the primary considerations in doing that was that we need to uphold our own credibility. We need to have and maintain and retain our own level of credibility. Because later, when things are discussed or points are brought up or evidence is advanced, if we don't have our own credibility to stand on, then what do we have at all? Why should anybody take us seriously in any way if we don't have credibility, right? That's why you have to be objective. You have to call out things even if they're not advantageous to your side. Even if you don't want to admit them, you have to just admit what's true and move on. So that we can at all at least continue to operate on the right level. Today, for instance, I posted a status about this podcast. And I advertise this podcast. And I spelled the word week, trying to go for week, you know, Monday to Friday, W-E-E-K. I spelled it W-E-A-K. And somebody called me and I said, hey, yo, grammar police, you spelled it wrong, bud. In fact, I'm strong. I don't know why you call me weak. And I was like, shit, you know. I, guys, I'm a horrible speller, believe it or not. I'm actually one of the worst spellers you ever met. I'm a good thinker. I, I have a good vocabulary, but I can't spell half the words I can say, okay? But you got to just hey, admit it. I'm a bad speller. If I sat here and told you I'm the best speller ever, I'd lose credibility. I'd be like, this dude is full of it. And I called him out, and he's just BSing. 
No, acknowledge your faults. That's how you maintain credibility. So the impeachment trial was advanced. And look, I must say, right, I've been around courtrooms. I've been around opening arguments, closing arguments. I've been around the presentation of evidence, the presentation of a case. Uh, Many of the Democratic congressmen that put on the um, House's case against former President Trump were former prosecutors. Um, And regardless of whether they were former prosecutors, the fact is they were, they were, you know, they were, um, and I saw a comment, so I'm trying to (laughs) respond to that, but, but I want to get back to this. Look, they were very good. They were very good. I was thoroughly impressed, okay? Uh, objectively, thoroughly, thoroughly, genuinely impressed with the presentation of the case against former President Trump. Uh, the way that they laid out his exact language, they parsed that next to video evidence of what had transpired at the Capitol, um, showing his tweets on a timeline, showing, most importantly, what precipitated the insurrection in terms of the language that was used, the casting of aspersions onto the electoral process, the characterization of the electoral process and the election in general as a a farce, a fraud, uh, something that was stolen, and continuing to show the before, during, and after language that was used by Trump. Um, that was a brilliant very well very well placed um, very well placed and very well done um, case now Spafford's here saying that you know it's not an insurrection because the people were smart enough and it's a dog and pony show well I call Spafford to this line right now that I keep referencing are you objectively saying Objectively, that Trump did not precipitate a violent attack on our Capitol and that a president precipitating a violent attack on the Capitol is not impeachable or is not insurrection? Are you going to be objective with that fact? Because whether you liked him or not or you wanted to vote for him or not, the fact is it is what it is. Okay? We got to be honest. Saying, oh, it's a dog and pony show, it's not going anywhere. Okay, that's that's a practical matter. Fine. Saying that... It wasn't really an insurrection because the people are stupid. Okay, they're stupid. That's fine. But are are you willing to say that Trump precipitated an insurrection? Because that's objectivity right there. That's objectivity, and that's what I'm getting into. We can get mad that they're putting on a show because we we liked Trump and we don't want to admit what happened or we're tired of hearing about it, but that doesn't negate what they put on. It doesn't negate their case. That's for sure. That's for sure. And that's my point here. Interestingly, and, and to get into some of the things they showed, right? It was interesting. They, this ongoing idea that Trump's advancing, that his defense is, defense is advancing, that he's been trying to advance, that people sympathetic to him have been trying to advance, is this idea that, well, he kept calling for peace. He said, keep it peaceful, right? And they actually showed the tweets while it was going on, said, don't cooperate with law enforcement, he didn't say cooperate, he said respect law enforcement, he said 
maintain peace, do not vandalize, right? That's what he was saying. He was tweeting that as it was going on. As it was going on. And what I found just just thoroughly, thoroughly like a, a mic drop moment in that presentation was that it was funny because as they're arguing, well, he was saying be peaceful. He was telling them to respect law enforcement as they were invading the Capitol. That means he was peaceful. I got news for you guys. <laughs> Him giving them orders during the invasion of the Capitol saying, do it peacefully, respect law enforcement, is proof positive that he was directing the individuals as they were invading the Capitol. He was telling them how to invade the Capitol. Well, since you're invading the Capitol, make sure you do it this way and do this. And while you're there, do that. That's proof he was directing them to invade the Capitol. Boom. Done. End of story. End of story. End of it. Well, he was telling them to do it peacefully. What's the key word? Do it. Telling them to do it. Yes, yes. It was just well, well placed how they did that. Well placed. And you could say, oh, he was trying to be peaceful. He precipitated it. And look. Look. Even getting there is a disgrace to objectivity. Even getting to the point where you're talking about how he told them how to conduct themselves as they illegally stormed the Capitol, as they thwarted the process of certifying the election. Now, and let's, for, let's not forget, let's not forget, guys, that the process which was taking place was the certification of the election, and that Trump invited all of those people there that day because of that. And if we even allow ourselves to get to the point where we are talking about, well, he said do it peacefully, we're ignoring the entire months and the speech and everything else that precipitated the events in the fact that he was saying that there were cowards. Mike Pence was a coward. The people doing their patriotic duty were cowards. Those who would dare certify a legitimately held election were cowards. And they needed to be held accountable. And he needed to give strength to the people who were not cowards, who were going to thwart our election. So again, again I bring you back to the boom moment, to the mic drop moment. Again I bring you back. We had an objectively free election that was not fraudulent, that was facilitated by the people, by the 50 states. Okay? We had that ratified, counted. And the president was saying it was fraudulent. It needed to be stopped. The counting of a legitimate free election, the will of the people, needed to be stopped. That right there is insurrection. That right there. Okay? The idea, if we even allow ourselves to cross that boundary, to push that fence, to push that objective envelope, and start even saying that it was okay to say a flat-out lie... A flat-out lie that the election was fraudulent, that the election was stolen. He continued to repeat that lie even as these people were storming the Capitol. He continued to perpetrate the lie. At what point, as objective, rational thinkers, do we call that out? Because it was based on falsity. It would be as if I stood here right now and told you the sky is green, damn it, the sky is green, and you need to go thwart any teacher telling students that the sky is not green. 
and you allowing me to get away with that. That's nonsense. What he said was patently false, and that is irredeemable. And look, why do I even bring that up? Because we're on the Logic and Larry podcast. We're all here together. We're all in this together. Rick's in it with me. Spafford's in it with me. Devon's in it with me. Vreeland's in it with me. Andrew Cena's in it with me. We're all here because we believe in objectivity. We all believe in honesty. Intellectual honesty. We all do. So it's a sin upon our entire movement. A sin upon our entire belief system that somebody could just make up a lie and prance around with that lie for months and then command people to go to act upon the basis of that lie to thwart a process. That's that's bad enough, and it's crazy that we even let the line get that far. It's just ridiculous. And and Spafford, good point, you're right. And he's not, he's not smart, he's... But, but the truth is, he did have an affiliation, and I think that's why he didn't say he didn't have any. He didn't disavow him because he didn't want to. So, and then after that, he said this. He said, this is what happens when people know that their election has been stolen. Again, a lie. And this, and always remember this day. Always remember this day as if it was something to be proud of. Always remember this day as if it was something to be proud of. And now look, I don't want to engage in hyperbole or exaggeration. I'm not one of those people, right? I'm not going to sit here and say that I know for a fact that if they had stumbled upon Nancy Pelosi or Mike Pence or AOC, that they would have literally dragged them out and strung them up on the gallows. I don't know that I give them that much credit that they are that, that they had the fortitude and the violent fortitude to do that. But I can't discount it, can I? I can't discount that. I don't know, Ali, did I call out all the men? I think I just called out a few of them. But, you know, there's, I don't know if I could, dis- I can't discount it, okay? For all I know, for all we know, they were going to do something if they had stumbled upon them, and then it definitely would have fit the definition of a full-blown insurrection. We don't know if they would have hurt any Congress people. They didn't get the chance, thank God. Thank God they didn't. But Trump then said, you know, remember this day forever we love you. Now, the the latest piece of evidence that came out, the latest piece of evidence that came out was this phone call between McCarthy, who was the minority leader in the House, the minority leader in the House, and Trump. And McCarthy was screaming at Trump, apparently, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? And Trump was, was, was taunting McCarthy. Saying, oh, well, this, I guess people, they don't like the election as much as you do, Mike. I guess they don't like it as much as you do. I mean, I didn't know that. So now there's a phone call that's out there. That's more proof that Trump was liking and rooting for and laughing at the invasion of the Capitol. Which is just, just crazy. Which is just crazy. So we have a phone call. We have a phone call that shows even more that Trump didn't care. That he was taunting McCarthy as the invasion was taking place. Which is just more 
evidence. And then we had the signature, the manifest, right, that showed who was consulted upon for the deploying of the National Guard. For the deploying of the National Guard. And Trump's name's not on it, right? It's McCarthy, Pence. So all the people they... All of the people that they consulted for the deploying of the National Guard, Trump's name's not on there. So not only did he instruct them how to conduct themselves during the insurrection, not only did he precipitate it, not only did he push for it, but he refused to sign off because his name's not on the official document as to one of the individuals who signed off on deploying the National Guard. And he directly lied because he said he deployed the National Guard, too. So he's directly lying. And I recall Bill Clinton lying and he getting impeached for that. Not convicted, necessarily, but, you know. And look, so, so how do I bring it back? Here's how I bring it back. There's a line. And I can't see how after looking at that evidence that was presented this week... All of the things I just said, which were more eloquently stated by the members of the House who put on the presentation, in painstaking, parsed-out detail, there simply is no way around the fact that this was a convictable, impeachable offense, okay? If this wasn't a convictable, impeachable offense in the land of democracy, in the the United States of America, where we have three branches of government and the executive exerting that type of, of power and exerting that type of force against the Congress is not impeachable, then I don't even know what country we live in anymore. I really, really don't. Okay. And it's funny because Republican members of the Senate have said that. They've said that. Reports are that Republican members of the Senate are out here saying, no, it was it was pretty much undeniable. It was a great presentation. I commend them. It was really spelled out quite, quite frankly and quite clearly. It's just that I have this issue with the jurisdictional aspect. I don't think we can impeach somebody who's out of office already. That's a that's just BS. That's just an excuse, because the argument to, as to that was impenetrable as well. I mean, there were founding fathers who literally sat, founding fathers who wrote the Constitution, sat in an impeachment trial and conducted an impeachment when somebody was already out of office. They did it, the actual founding fathers. So it's completely invalidated as a as an argument. But they're falling back on it. And that's how I bring it back to this line, right? What's their excuse for ignoring objective fact? What's their excuse for ignoring the the evidence that was placed before them? What's their actual excuse for not doing what's what's objectively, objectively the right thing to do, what's objectively the, the, the just thing to do? They say they're scared for their careers. They say that the Trump base is so vehement, the Trump base is so strong and so passionate... That if they were to vote to convict Trump, they fear that they will be sanctioned by their state parties, they'll be voted out, they'll be primaried. That's what they're scared of. Losing their careers in the Senate. And then I tell you this. These are the same people who expect to salute, who celebrate young men and women 
18 years old to 20-something years old going overseas and dying to defend a free country with three branches of government and checks and balances. They think it's okay to sacrifice your life, your life as a young person. Sacrifice being a father or mother to your children. Sacrifice time with your family. Sacrifice your time on earth to die for the principles that this country stands for. Yet they won't even risk sacrificing their Senate job for the same principle. That's the line that they can't stand on, but they want soldiers to stand on a line overseas. They can't cast a vote. They can't stand up to the base of their party in an intellectual debate, which is something we all do every day in our spare time. They can't stand up for that, but they want soldiers to die for the same thing? There's no forgiving that stance in a human being. There's none. So when I talk about the line of objectivity, and I talk about the line for truth, it means a lot more than just window dressing on a Friday night podcast because it sounds cool. It has real meaning and depth behind it. And the fact that people that we are supposed to look up to and respect who took an oath. When jurors go into jury boxes across this country every day, they take an oath to abide by the law and not to let other considerations influence their vote. And they have to adhere to that oath. And if they get caught breaking the oath, they're in trouble. They could be held in contempt. And these people took an oath to uphold the Constitution, and this is where we are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what side you're on. And, and by the way, there's plenty of Republicans. There's 10 of them in the House that voted to impeach. There's Republicans that are going to vote to convict. And there's Republicans that privately know the truth. But anybody who refuses... Look, if there's an objective reason, if somebody comes to me and says, look, I really don't believe the evidence shows that, here's why. That's one thing. But to say, no, the evidence is clear, but I'm just going to use some excuse to get out of it because I'm scared of my base... It's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. And again, it, it goes to credibility. How are you going to have credibility going forward if you refuse to be objective in this situation? How can we ever take you seriously again? How can we ever take you seriously again? We can't. We can't. Now, in history, it's going to go down as a majority voted to convict. I guarantee you that. Because a handful of Republicans are going to vote with the Democrats. So it's going to go down as some form of 50-something to 40-something guilty, right? It's going to be anywhere from 54 to 56 to 58 to, you know, 42 to 44 in favor of conviction. So it won't get an actual conviction, right? Trump won't actually be convicted. But in history... You're going to have this record, you're going to have the second impeachment, and then you're going to have a majority vote of the Senate. A majority of the Senate is going to vote to convict. And if anything, I guess that one thing we can seek solace in as objective thinkers uh, is that future generations will see that at least the majority of the Senate, not a supermajority, but at least the majority of the Senate voted to convict and voted with objectivity. And that's a good thing. Now, I would be remiss... I would be remiss if I didn't bring up 
the fact that one of the things that the defense brought up in defense of Trump, be remiss if I didn't bring this up, because if I'm talking about credibility and I'm talking about objectivity and I'm talking about intellectual honesty, well, then I have to I have to be real. Right. And did you see all of the excerpts that the Trump defense was putting on from left wing people and Democrats that sounded a lot like violent language, sounded a lot like the justification of violence after the fact and all those things, too? Because I did. And here's what I'll say about that, right? The justification that Trump gave the insurrectionists, I understand it's a different context. I understand he precipitated it in a lot of ways. But he didn't actually mutter to be violent. That doesn't mean I'm exonerating him. You know my feelings. I just went through them. He did encourage it. So when we talk about Democrats who justified and didn't necessarily explicitly encourage violence, but then kind of gave it a pass and kind of congratulated people, participated in bail funds for people who had to face property, who had burned things, who had hurt people, all those things. I will just say that isn't it unfortunate that the defense of Trump even had those videos and those quotes to even show? It's unfortunate because had those people stayed objective while the other protests were going on and said, look, I support protests. People are angry. I understand why they're destroying things, but I don't condone it. All they had to say was, I don't condone any of that. I don't support bailing people out who are violating the law, who are violent, who are destroying things. I don't condone it. Then they wouldn't have had that. The defense wouldn't have had that fodder to put on. They wouldn't have had that. And... You know, look, look, Rick, I'm not saying that they precipitated it, okay? I'm not saying it's the same exact thing. I'm not saying it, but here you guys go. Here you guys go. Well, how can I defend that? You don't have to. You didn't You didn't say it. I'm not saying they're the same. I'm not saying they're equal. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is what they said was unfortunate. It should have never been advocated for. It should have never been justified. It should have never been. It's not justifiable, Period. I condemned it when they were attacking black businesses in Minnesota and burning down black businesses. I said that was a bad thing, and it was a bad thing. Some people were giving it a pass, many people. I'm not saying it's the same. I'm not saying it's the same. But I'm maintaining my own credibility. I'm being objective like I'm telling everybody else to be, and I'm saying it doesn't matter. That was still objectively not a good thing to do, and it wasn't objectively justifiable to say to burn down businesses, especially businesses in neighborhoods that didn't deserve it. It just wasn't objectively, it's not acceptable. We could try to defend it, find reasons why it's better than Trump. Why are we even engaging that exercise? That's what I'm trying to say. Let's stop it. Let's stop. Let's stop engaging in that exercise. There's not, we don't have to. We have credibility. We don't have to. We can say, hey, well, I didn't, I didn't advocate for it. Yeah, Trump's thing is a lot worse because it was an attack on the Capitol to thwart a free election. We agree on that. We agree it's different. We agree it's worse. We agree it's more serious. But still, they would have maintained their credibility if they didn't so willingly almost embrace, if not embrace, the violence that occurred then. And now all of a sudden want to have such a hard line against violence. Because you got to remember, some of, like the George Floyd killing was obviously, we all saw it with our own eyes, completely justifiable to be out in the streets protesting. We all know that. But there are other incidents that have occurred 
that are misreported on, that have misinformation. And those resulted in violence, too. And I didn't see anybody on the left coming out saying, actually, guys, we should look at the facts. You're acting on facts that were misreported. Let's get all the facts. I heard very few people say that. You know who I did say that here say that? Joe Biden. Joe Biden said that from the beginning. He always said he didn't advocate for violence. He didn't condone violence. He always said he wants facts to come out. But there were other situations that were misreported on. I didn't hear anybody on the left saying, hey, I'll step up to that line. I'll, I'll let people know the truth. So you got to remember, the people that stormed the Capitol, they should be held accountable. And I'm, I'm, they're being held accountable. But they were misinformed too, right? These aren't people that just made it up themselves. Trump told them this. And people that burn down things and destroy things, sometimes they're told things that aren't always accurate. Okay? And on both sides, inaccuracies should be called out. They should be called out. So at the end of the day, I don't want to hear any justification one way or the other. I'm just all I'm doing is pointing out something that we can all say is true. We can say that it's different. We can say we were more sympathetic to the left. We can say there's re oh, fine, but let's call a spade a spade and move on. Let's do it. Let's let's practice what we preach. Because who are we to call out other people if we're not doing it? Who are we? We're full of shit. It doesn't hurt us to call it out. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We're not going to lose anything by admitting it. We don't have to hold on to it. We don't have to hold on to it like a last grip on a mountain as we're falling. It's okay. It'll make us stronger to admit it. It'll make us stronger to acknowledge it. We can acknowledge it and then say the contest. Say, you know what? You're right, Larry. They shouldn't have said that. But let's explore why it was different. Let's explore why, even though they didn't call it out, it's nothing compared to what happened. Then you just get rid of that whole argument, right? If you dwell on, you dwell on trying to run yourself in circles justifying the comments they made, you're just going to lose. You're going to avail yourself to attacks. If you say, yes, you're right. They shouldn't have said that. You're right. But... That being said, let's, let's explain why what you did was a lot worse. Now you have so much more credibility. Now you have so much more power. You're in such a better standing. They have so much less to attack you on. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? So that being said, I just wanted to point it out because it, A, to maintain my own credibility. I'm not just out here spouting off with feelings, Okay. I'm just trying to be honest as I'm making I'm calling everybody else to task. I got to practice what I preach. I'm not going to be on this microphone talking to you all if I can't practice what I preach. Then I'd be a damn hypocrite. So now now the last thing I just want to kind of touch on and it kind of goes to that whole Issue. While I will say, though, that most of you who listen to me who are on the left did, in fact, acknowledge this point that I made recently, and I, I thought it was an important point to acknowledge. Look, there's, there's, this goes on in the left, too, with this groupthink mentality and this idea that I can't say something or I can't think something or I can't do something because the left will attack me, right? I'll lose my fans. Maybe I'll lose my job. I'll lose my people. People won't like me. The left goes through that, right? Because the left exerts pressure on people in different ways than the right exerts. The right is saying, we'll primary you if you go against us. The left is saying, well, we will socially marginalize you to an extent that you may lose your livelihood if you dare say something that we adjudge to be inappropriate. And this week, 
a woman who was an actress on the Mandalorian series lost her job. Now, I don't... i got to be honest with you. I've watched one season of The Mandalorian. I thought it was good, but I haven't followed The Mandalorian to that extent. Um, and I haven't... Uh, you know, I, ha- I haven't followed to that extent. I'm not that familiar with the character in question that the actress played. I'm not that familiar with her beliefs. I'm not that familiar with what she tweeted. From what I understand, what she tweeted was in a- was offensive, was not appropriate. Um, I understand that. Um, but it just got me thinking again. And SNL did a-, a great skit. SNL did a great skit where they started doxing, you know, five-year-olds for things that they deemed to be insensitive. And I thought the irony and the humor in that was really good as you know just to illustrate kind of where that could go the extreme of where it could go the um you know the slippery slope so to speak which was a little bit exaggerated obviously but it made its point it got its point across look this this idea that that on the left we 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 are scared on the left too people are scared on the left too okay they're scared on the left too and for the same reasons as some on the right. And this line, it's not the same thing, obviously, as impeaching a president who facilitated an insurrection, but it's similar, right? If we can't stand up for objectivity and facts on the left, then that's just as questionable. And that needs to be called out just as much. You have to have the fortitude and the toughness to call out things on the left, too. And this cancel culture thing is really, in my opinion, facilitated by this mass hysterical situation where the crowd jumps on and does what the crowd is doing and then nobody is there to raise up and say hey 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 should we be doing this is this the right way to handle people who have views that we disagree with or this is the right way to handle people who have tweeted things in the past that that we don't like now i knew a young man that i grew up with and he was a he's one of the nicest kids i ever met nice kid he went off. He, he went off to L.A. He got somewhat famous. He was on a reality show, and they dug up things that he had tweeted when he was 16, 15, you know, maybe 20 max. And he's ruined, ruined. Now I'm not, I'm not saying that what he said was acceptable because it wasn't. But what I am saying is I know this person. I genuinely know this person. This person is not a bigot. This person is not racist. This person, this person really didn't mean anything. And it was a mistake that he could learn from, but now he's destroyed 10 years later because of that. That's scary, and it's por- partly because of this groupthink and because people don't want to stand up for objectivity. And that's scary, too. So we need to call that out. Another thing I've seen, you know, is this. So so we have this $15 minimum wage thing. I'm going to talk to Charles Riley about this when he comes on because I want to see his opinion on it. But I, I just had called out simply... That the $15 minimum wage really does not belong as part of the COVID-19 relief bill. And the reason was it's not doing anything for COVID-19 relief, right? The, the roundabout argument, you could try to say, well, it boosts wages so it'll help people recover. But that's a terrible argument because businesses are in a squeeze. So upping their overhead for financing purposes and for current purposes is the wrong way to get them out of the recession. The recession. Not to mention that the retort to that argument is, well, it won't hurt businesses during the COVID-19 recession because it's going to be phased in over several years. So it won't even really kick in until after the pandemic. Well, if that's your argument, then it really has nothing to do with the pandemic, does it? (laughs) Because it's not going to help people during the pandemic and it's not going to hurt businesses during the pandemic. Either way, it doesn't belong in the bill. That's my stance. I think it's pretty objectively verifiable. Most people... Even those who agree with a $15 minimum wage, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with the $15 minimum wage. Most people, most people 
um, ha- did admit and did say, look, the it doesn't belong in this bill for the reasons you stated, but we can discuss the merits of it. Anyway, this idea that it does and all the people on the left are going to go along with the idea that it does is just disingenuous to say, look, it doesn't belong there. But tactically, tactically, we need to try to shove it in there because we really want it done. This is a great way to try to accomplish it tactically. Well, then you maintain your credibility. You should be honest. Hey, hey, guys, I know it doesn't belong in there, but F you. I need to get it done. So I'm going to do it. And I think it's a great idea. Here's why. Then, you, again, you just cut off the bad argument. So anyway, my point wasn't bringing up the left stuff, that it works both ways. It works both ways, and if we're going to be out here, as I've seen so many of you doing, and I'm, I'm so inspired by it, and it's so great that so many are out here doing this, I just want to you know, say we got to continue to maintain that objective line, and we've got to stand on it, and we've got to respect it, because that's the only way that humanity can progress in the right way, is if we're operating on... A legitimate premise. And I called out conspiracies months ago, guys. I said conspiracies could lead to true harm. And if you see the conspiracy that Trump pushed regarding the election, it's true. That is what led to the siege of the Capitol. In 2001, in 2001, last September 11th, I was on this radio show and I said, I said, I mentioned these people. Flight 93 was supposed to run into the Capitol building and destroy it. Flight 93. But people on Flight 93, patriotic Americans on Flight 93, stormed the cockpit. They wrestled the terrorists. They sacrificed their own lives in the classic let's roll quote. They sacrificed their own lives to save the Capitol building. And they are American heroes, just regular Americans who saved the Capitol building by sacrificing themselves and crashing into a field in Pennsylvania. And 19 or well, 20 years later, 20 years later, we have a conspiracy, a nonsensical false conspiracy causing people to run into the Capitol building. That's just insane. And there are recordings of them going to attack the cockpit, and it crashed in the field. So, I mean, I don't think it's really disputable. I don't see why the terrorists would just take it down for the hell of it. And the black box recorded them breaking in, by the way. But anyway, I know it was tongue-in-cheek, but some things don't need to be tongue-in-cheek. Really don't. Really don't. But 20 years later... We had a conspiracy breach those same walls and desecrate those walls with feces and broken glass and Confederate flags because of conspiracy. Conspiracies are dangerous and not standing up to misinformation and false narratives is dangerous. Perhaps more dangerous than not standing up to violence or overt overt false ideologies. Not standing up to misinformation that can permeate and per, you know be pervasive through our entire societal dialogue and can then infect the entire populace and our entire society and our way of thinking is probably more insidious and more dangerous than any physical threat. So we need to stand on that line. And the only way we'll push the fence line back from the Capitol and be back in our house as an open, deliberative society that we aspire to be is to stand on the line ourselves and to stand up for what's true, what's just, and what's objective. And I'm 
inspired that all of you continue to do it. I will continue to do it. And it's unfortunate that not enough people will do it by all indications in the Senate, but at least a simple majority will. And that's all we can ask for right now in this hyper-partisan time where human beings have a real trouble, a real trouble doing that. Now, I'm going to call Charles. I'm going to get him on the line. I'm looking forward to him being on the show and talking. And I'm going to take a very quick two-minute break. And when I come back, I'm going to get Charles on the Skype. We're going to talk about his podcast. We're going to talk about some centrism versus leftism, some other issues. I'm really looking forward to it. He's a great mind. I've known him for a long time. And uh, I can't wait to get him on here. So I'll be right back in two minutes. Stay with me. I'm back, and I'm going to try to get Charles on the phone right now. Give him a call. You might hear some Skype sounds. You know how we roll. I don't know why people had trouble uh, dealing with uh, hearing me before. I hope everybody could hear it now. I don't know what that was about. What up, kid? What's going on? So now, look, you want me to call you? Are you? What's your? What's your alias on the show? Are you Charles? Are you Chuck? Are you Colm? Well, I mean, who are you here? What, what do you want me to address you? Because there's so many names, bro. I don't know how to keep up. I pretty much always refer to myself as Charles. Um, Charles Riley actually comes from because my family calls me CR, and Riley's obviously my middle name. Got you. But Charles is cool with me. All right, cool, Charles. So we've known each other for a very long time. I'd say, oh God. For, 15 years, 10 years, more than 10, 15, 11, 12. We knew each other long enough that I remember we were already cool before Obama ever became president. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. So very long time ago, bro. And we, we knew each other from music. Um, yeah, so, ironically, we're on a radio show now. Yes. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I guess I've always said that, you know, I kind of value all the different facets you, you continue to do in life, music, school, you know, professionally, because you meet people along the way, and then that facilitates other things that you guys are doing. So now we're doing podcasts, and we still maintain contact. It's cool. Um, been arguing on social media ever since MySpace. Yes, yeah. So we've been arguing on social media for a long time. And Charles, you're a Rutgers guy too, right? Yep, class yeah. of 2016. Yeah, so they've got a Rutgers guy too. So... So let's first of all, first of all, let's talk about just your. Um, tell us about your your show, your your podcast, a dope blog. It, you seem like you have a lot of followers on your Facebook. You're always posting, you know, provocative type statuses. Some funny, some really get conversation going. Tell us a little bit about what it's all about. You know, uh, what's what the whole situation is with that, and, and how you got it started, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's uh, the dope blog. It dope stands for discussing other people's excellence. 
And I never really get political on the podcast itself. The podcast is called The Dope Blog. I do dope fights with uh, my cousin Tim Owens. Mm -hmm. I do Bullshit Network and Nets Propaganda with (laughs) Brett Carroll. And Nets Propaganda is more just Brooklyn Nets-centric, and that was before all these trades and signings. Mm -hmm. And NBA-centric, Bullshit Network is anything under the sun from sports and entertainment. And Dope Fights is MMA and boxing. And I did that specifically because, as you know, I always talk about politics i'm a journalist by my profession i deal with the news the hard news yes. so in with the blog and the episodes i want to focus on the positives and that's harder when you're a nets fan but <laughs> i like to focus on the positives for the most part that's, that's the name and that's really what it is it's just a way for me to talk about all these things because professionally speaking i never really wanted to go into sports journalism don't get me wrong i've applied i've tried coming out of college i was hopeful but I always wanted to do hard news because there's a lack of real journalism out there. And I don't mean that as a shock to the quote-unquote mainstream media. Right. I just mean everybody's so opinionated. I've established in the four or five years I've been a journalist that I may have my opinions, but that won't affect right. my profession. And and now look, just to kind of hone in on that, the journalism aspect, and that's a really, for lack of a better term, that's a dope whole thing with, with the podcast. I mean, I think that's... You keep politics out of it. There's a lot of other things to discuss, and I, and I with discussing other people's excellence, I think uh, I try to take some of that, at, you know, when I bring people on here and kind of just, you know, bring your perspectives and your professional acumens and, and your experiences to the forefront. With that in mind, uh, part of the reason I brought you on here, yes, we can discuss the political aspects, which we'll get to, but, you know, you are an actual journalist, right? So I'm on here talking, and we talk about journalism and, and reporting, but you're an actual journalist, and... Tell me, you know, for as far as you can go, I mean, but you're a journalist. I think you should be pretty open. It's up to you. I mean, you write, you've written some local stories that really were kind of, you know, controversial in some ways. And they, they, there was, you know, issues in, in, in localities and it was picked up by other outlets. And how has it been? Have you faced as a journalist, you know, you're setting out to do a story. You're looking to be objective. Do you face pressures from different parties, you know, to spin it one way or the other? Or do you get back, you know, backlash when you don't? Tell us about that. Okay. Well, you're going to enjoy this part. Yes. Um, I pretty much am me all the time, as you could tell. Mm -hmm. And that's for my own mental health, everybody. It's not like I'm a big, tough guy. I just do it because it's easier than lying. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to pressure, it's a yes and no thing. I'm not really going to get bullied by anybody, so the pressuring me isn't going to work in certain aspects. Right. But to that notion, right, local politics is different than federal politics, national politics. Like, on a state level, Democrats, Republicans don't mean the same thing they do on a national level. Right, not at all. And even more so on a county and municipal level. So, like everything else, sports journalism to hard news, it's different relationships professionally that you build over time. Right. So there was a point in my professional uh, career where most of my, not connects, but sources weren't Democrats. Right. Well, there were some people that were insinuating and did insinuate to my face that I have a favoritism towards Republicans. And Interesting. a couple people really enjoyed that, you know. Right. If you know me. Uh, yes. You know, right. <laughs> right. Um, right. So... And but to your question about the stories in particular, because that's a different question. I just I just figured you kind of meant you know left right. Does the people want to tear me in one way or the other? Right. Twenty twenty was different. Okay. I started 
in 2016 professionally. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I've been a journalist outside of this crazy, different world we've essentially had the last four years. Right. Some of the stories I cover are so local that I get the respect because I'm covering, I'm going to the zoning board meetings, I'm going to the planning board meetings, I'm going to the special meetings that just happen to happen on a Wednesday or Thursday at two in the afternoon in Freehold. Right. You know what I mean? And so hold on a sec, just before you continue, just so everybody else is oriented, you're you're a journalist, a hyper-local like journalist who's covering like political and, and governmental and serious issues at a hyper-local like county, town level, like municipal, county, New Jersey level, and you're in the heart of New Jersey covering these things day to day in the nitty gritty, just to orient everybody. So yeah, continue. I work for a weekly, so I have the benefit of not trying to rush my story and having a day or two to work on my story, get contact the people on both sides, three sides, four sides, whatever it may right. be, and get all these difference for the for the whole story. Right. So I've been able to hone my craft and not worry about, oh, well, I have to be the first person with this headline. Right. Oh, I'm going to have the best story. Right. So... So when it comes to the local issues, right, the first time when my, my friends were really like, okay, you need to chill, there's a couple applications that I have to deal with in Monmouth County that uh -huh. I've covered longer than anyone else and in more in-depth than anyone else, and that's including the other bigger newspapers in New Jersey. Right. And it hit the point where a couple of my friends were saying, listen, man, you're doing a great job, but you're not getting paid enough to go down these roads. You need right. to be careful. Right. And, and saying that because I'm figuring out where some money might be coming from or right maybe going right some influence and that's dangerous in itself right and that was before you know this current era we're in where it's super hyper partisan yes but that's where i feel the pressure it, it's it's when i'm asking the questions and i'm getting responses that just don't match up to reality right that's what i can say without yes giving away who i'm talking about obviously right so yeah, you're so you're and you're on a level where you may be, right? There may be stories that you're covering that they're not getting the same attention from like a, a an Essex County or a, a a Philadelphia Mercer County until you break the story, then those newspapers might want to come and kind of take pick up what you've already kind of uncovered. So you're like one of the premier people, I would guess, in these meetings and talking to these people you're like the first line of journalist who's really delving into some of the issues going on where they might not want anybody to be looking yes uh <laughs> and not that's not even patting myself on the back if you like if the show is like the daily show or last week tonight they use hyper local journalists like myself because we're the ones that are writing the story from every meeting that right because if i did work on it for, for the state on like a state level say i got a job at nj.com or politico new jersey right mm -hmm. and i had to cover the state it'd just be a different thing i'm covering right I'm, I'm in certain counties covering these very local issues and one of the things i'm most proud of that i got the i got the chance to cover with a young uh kid named they pick the tank hold on hold on you answer hold on you broke up you broke up so so go back and say the name and everything again because you broke up a little bit Sorry, Sorry. Jake, uh, his name was Jake the Tank Honig, uh -huh. and he passed away at seven years old. He had a rare for, uh, form of brain cancer he was fighting for years. But his parents, the Honigs, and his family were advocating for medical marijuana in the state. Right. So I remember covering just the Howell PD going to their house mm -hmm. and just doing something nice mm -hmm. and interviewing him and getting on the whole medical marijuana stuff. And then a year later, you have the governor signing a law with that kid's name on it. Right. That's huge. I mean, that's 
that's got to be inspirational to you as a journalist that you know even if even if when signing the bill he didn't shout you out or whatever even if certain people don't know it now everybody in my podcast does you feel the satisfaction you know the impact that you had and it must feel good to just sit back and know that right it does it really does i can't lie and say it doesn't it's one of the things that gets you through the job these days because you can only imagine how many times someone has did the fake news thing or right. the liberal agenda thing or you know what i mean it, yes it, it's it's just a broken you know record at this point but you feel it's instances like that where you see you know you could just help be a positive force in a family's life that child is fighting cancer that's trying to do the right thing by everyone else that just so they can have a chance when I interview somebody that has stage four cancer and they're just trying to raise awareness or right. something, it really humbles you. Yes, like, yes. And, and and to go back just to, to like the planning board meetings, zoning board meetings, people that definitely don't agree with my personal politics will go out their way just to say thank you for doing your job. And, right. and anybody, anybody that has a nine to five can appreciate somebody that doesn't know you from Adam going up to you and just going, hey, I just want to say I really appreciate you doing this. 100% you can. And I, that's one of the things that this show is I'm humbled by all you guys when you call. I learn things about your professions, what you guys do, which humbles me to kind of like, wow, look what this person's accomplishing is doing. And it's just – and look what I could learn from them. And I think, you know, just kind of having that 9 to 5 and then hearing you've done a good job and knowing that you have a good reputation is, is a big thing for people in society today. Let me ask you this. Um do you find it sometimes comical or off-putting or aggravating that you probably – you're consistently being objective on every story, yet depending on what you publish, you know, one day you're called a, a, a liberal, the next day you're called the Republican-friendly. Does it kind of make you laugh or does it get on your nerves that you probably get painted in all these ways when all you're doing is doing what I'm always advocating for, which is follow the facts, follow the objecti uh, objective information, and report honestly on it? Well, there's two things, uh, two answers to that question. Mm -hmm. What annoys me the most is when I, I work on the story, right? I write a thousand words, 1200 words or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and I do my job. I got the who, what, where, and why the places, the, the, the comments from the people, yada, 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 right? Mm -hmm. I post it and someone reads the headline and then asks me uh, something that was answered in the lead. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's annoying. Yes. So you get headline readers and you're like, dude, it's in the lead. All you had to do was open it. Yeah, they didn't yes. even do that. That, that, that happens way too much. Uh -huh. and, but the thing that got me that, that would probably upset most people that made me feel like, well, I guess I'm doing my job. And I shit you not, I got called an Uncle Tom and racist towards whites in the same day on Whoa. social media. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. <laughs> was it for the same article or different articles? It, it, it was – I one the Uncle Tom one was because I shared a press release from – I don't remember. I think it was the Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office. And I wasn't even uh -huh. technically working when I did that. Right. It was just me sharing something locally <laughs> yes. because something happened. And I got called an Uncle Tom for it because apparently <laughs> the person it was about was black. Right. Um, and then someone else said I was racist towards whites because I think I had a status. you got to remember 2020 was crazy. Mm -hmm. I think I had a status where I said Black Lives Matter. And I had a story covering the Black Lives Matter protest in, in maybe Jackson. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I got that, and, and if you if you saw my social media the whole time, I had pictures with cops. I I, I didn't, you know. Right. I, I was proud of New Jersey, just like you were. Yes. So, someone saying I hate cops and I, I'm racist towards whites. Obviously, they don't realize how light skinned I am. So. <laughs> 
That is that is really illust- illustrative of of what what people go through today. That I I can appreciate that because I've been called all kinds of things on the same day too. And knowing you and you know your objectivity and and just you as a person calling you racist against whites or an Uncle Tom is one of the most absurd thing. Two of the most absurd things ever I've ever heard. Period. Well, the best thing is I'm still waiting. For all these like benefits and, and the good health plans, because I was told four years ago that I worked for Clinton, and uh. I, I thought she paid. I haven't seen one check from Hillary Clinton. It's really annoying. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. So that's that's interesting. And I, I did, I have seen you too. I don't, I don't know the issue. There was some issue going on. I I believe I want to say it was how it was some kind of land development or something. And I just saw. I saw like the news article post, and I don't remember if it was yours or someone else's, but I recall people kind of mischaracterizing what had happened or something, and I did see you just pop in, and I don't recall what you said, but just popped in just to correct misinformation, like actually you'd be surprised, blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, you know, I took note of it. I was like, you know, here's somebody who reports on it who's just correcting misinformation and just out here kind of reporting. I thought it was interesting, and it was interesting how angry people were getting about even that story. You know, and you had done a lot of investigation on it, so I've noticed. The, the crazy part is, I don't even know which story you're talking about because it's happened so many times. <laughs> right. And with, with, with especially with everything's land use when it comes to planning and zoning. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh, and a lot of it down here in, around the Jersey Shore, especially when you go out more out west in and south in Ocean County, yes. a lot of it beca- gets muddied because there's a lot of different political machines at play. Yes. And, and you can tell, you're the lawyer here, so you know I'm, I'm watching my words. <laughs> um, so a lot of these different developments down here, they, they, they sometimes they have a solid plan. I, 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 I'm, only, I'm not speaking specifically, I'm just saying, like, right. say you're building something, and this is happening, but say you're building something around Six Flags, right? Right. You got the plan, it fits the zone, you, you, your plan is... is uh, good by the NJBP, you got all your permits, yada, yada, yada. You're always going to get people that don't want it in their backyard. I'm not criticizing those people. That's your right to complain if you don't want that built in your town. Go right. for it. Right. But it doesn't stop it from being made. Some, sometimes, though, there mm-hmm. are there have been applications that are objectively, and I mean this, I, I don't live there, so what am I, what, where's, where's my dog in the fight? You know? Right. You don't, right. You don't have one. Right. Right. That are so bad that it's ridiculous the bureaucracy of planning and zoning in certain municipalities for because of state laws that they have to push it through because they met some random requirements because you could have a environmental protection permit that's 10 years old and anyone's right. lived the last 10 years you know we've had more superstorms every single year than we had the previous 20 right right so 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 under the law you get a thousand you know a hundred year storm is, is, is i think what they're called legally mm-hmm. um and you and you know you know a hundred year storms only happens once every 50 years or once every hundred years. Right. So that's what we have to plan for. But right. we've got 300 year storms in the last 18 months. Right. Right. So this, so, right. So, so, so if their plan, and uh, I don't want to get too specific, but sometimes plans involve, you know, obviously building up a, a literal development of houses. Yes. Yes. So if you plan on, and if you live down in, by the shore, you know, flooding has been an issue ever since Irene. Yes. Irene. Yes. Big issue. Yeah. So if you're going to bring in a football field's worth of sand and put it up, you know, elevated like five, six feet, where's that water going to go? Yes. Where's Right. 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 Where's and, it? Right. And, and they have to – it's an antiquated – 
permit at this point, right? It's an antiquated regulation compared to what we're actually facing now. But if, but, and this is the irony of people not knowing the difference between local uh, politics and, and national, right? So mm-hmm. if I, literally, just me, Charles Day, say, hey, this is an environmental issue and we need to fix the laws, they can just shut me up by saying, oh, yeah, lefty, we know, go hug a tree or something, you know. Something right, random, something like right, that. right, right. Your actual specific you know, uh, practical request to fix a law, they could characterize you as some wacky lefty and just dismiss you and maybe even do it strategically just to shut you up, which is a problem. So now imagine how annoying the last four years have been when you have a Trump supporter arguing with me that uh, climate change isn't a real thing. Right. Even though we, we, the collective we, that everyone that's living, has lived through storms that didn't happen for centuries. Right. So that's eye-opening. Right. So... It's a practical judgment. Look, the storms have happened. We've seen it. We need a change in the law. And then trying to dismiss and characterize you as a as a lefty climate believer. And, and, and yeah, that's frustrating. Think about it like this. Take it from the right. This is costing us money all the time. This is costing municipalities in the state money every single yes. year, multiple times a year. There, there's been townships. Our local, where we grew up, right? Yes. The damage from random storms, not even storms we know, oh, yeah, you know, there's going to be a bad storm in two days. No, the random collective of storms where it's just like, oh, look, it's going to rain. And then all of a sudden, trees are down everywhere. Yes. And and the County has power out. Yes. Yeah, and we saw it just this summer. Yeah, we saw it in Freehold. It was nuts. Everything was falling down. People's houses are taken out. Yeah, and it was just supposed to be a regular regular rainstorm. Yep. So that's the stuff I kind of deal with. And also... The local politics of it all, man, like the left-right. That's why I try to say left and right now, Republican and Democrat, because on a national level, I feel we are very center-right compared to the rest of the the first world on this planet. Right, right. And in New Jersey itself, I think a lot of people just go down ballot and don't listen to the actual candidates. And I'll say it here because it's it's, it's in the past and I I don't think it can come back and bite me, but... In the, during the midterms, right, the 2018 mm-hmm. midterms, mm-hmm. you remember how contentious that was. We had a micro caravan coming coming up. Uh, it was just as partisan as it is now. Yes. That midterm, I voted more Republican than I did anything else. You did. Because See, I, interesting. I paid attention on a local level, and I knew the differences between all the candidates. Right. And party wasn't the predominant factor. You knew the differences in the individual candidates and what they were going to do specifically for their job instead of just being hyper-partisan. And that's right. The hyper-partisan is why I, I even threw out the idea, hey, man, like let's go back to what me and you used to argue about, the difference between the centrist Dems and the progressive Dems, not because I, I'm super hyper-partisan, I'm going to vote blue no matter who, right. but because the one thing the Trump wing of the party has gotten right is that they, they've, they've, they, they build a coalition and, and they actually get elected. And, and, and they have yes. the help of the of the the majority of the GOP, right? Yes. On, on the other side, you have the establishment constantly fighting against the left that have popular policy arguments. Like right. a lot of people support it more than the the milto centrism that they try to act like every district needs. Right. Different districts need different things. Yes. I, I am not a person that thinks everybody needs an AOC in their district. Not far from it. I also don't believe everybody needs a Nancy Pelosi in their district. Right, right, you don't. And I want to get into that now, too, but just the final point on the, on the the from your personal experience. Oh, I guess, right. you know, it's, it's one of the things we're talking about is, you know, you get into this 
you are the embodiment of somebody who will point out a practical change or a practical problem because you're a, a, a journalist at a local level. And even you get pushback and characterizations for simply point – people want to – you'll point out an objective problem and somebody will say, oh, I'll bring my side into this or accuse you of being on the other side. And all you're saying is can't we all just sit at the table and look at what I reported on and find a collective solution and I don't know, I just think that's a microcosm of some of the stuff going on in the country with our dialogue. And it, I think you can, you're a good example of it because you're actually pointing out these problems on the local level for hyper practical reasons. And even you're getting that pushback. It's just, it's kind of phenomenal to me that it's happening that way. You know, it's just, it's disappointing. It's very disappointing. And down here, you know, we have a big, you know, next to Brooklyn, Orthodox Jewish population, Hasidic yes. population. There's a lot of anti-Semitism around. There here. really is. And the the crazy thing is, yeah, there is a lot of anti-Semitism around here. I've seen it with my eyes and ears in person. Yes. But at the same time, people don't realize that how much politics are at play down here just with that. So right. I brought the Gina Carano thing before. I just laugh because it's like... This is like the third time someone's brought it up today, just in my day, right? Uh -huh. And I'm just kind of over it. Uh -huh. I have an MMA pod. We didn't talk about her for a reason. <laughs> right. Um, and it's not cancel culture. When you get when you get fired from one job, you still have all your social media. You get another job and a contract right afterwards, and you get to go on primetime and, and, and talk your opinion. You're not canceled if you're getting 30-minute spots in primetime. Well, very good point. Very good point. I just want to point that out. I, and also... Yeah. Because we apparently we can curse on here. Fuck cancel culture too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but I just want to clarify. Yes. But it, it, yeah, man. I just wanted to point out that because, as you know, growing up where we grew up, the anti-Semitism down here mm -hmm. is used by the same machine the anti-Semites are trying to destroy. Right. Right. And and that's not the, the sad part is that's the most objective way I can put it. And that, I, and I understand what you mean, and that that makes a hell of a lot of sense. So, to pivot now to where you were going, um, finish your thought on this. Um, you were saying, you know, not every district needs an AOC, but some probably do. Um, and, and you were saying you were making a comparison because this was kind of the centrism versus leftism thing, and I don't know that we were we were going to get into a debate. Really, I don't even think you're that far. We have a few debates, and we can debate tonight. But you. You're pretty. I, would, I mean, left under Obama, and now since everything got pushed right, I think me and you are equally far left. Now. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think we're so far apart or anything. But I just wanted to hear your genuine thoughts on that. Finish your thought. I mean, you were saying that the right can kind of the populist base of the right can kind of, for lack of a better term, you might not characterize it that way, but like co-op the establishment and they move in unison. Whereas yeah. the left, they're always fighting over that. Just finish that thought, you know, and, and go into that. Well, I don't even think it's my opinion. I think that's that's just looking at our government the last decade. Well, you right. Plus, remember the Tea Party did it. I think they were successful at it. They, they created a caucus that had to be recognized within the House. Right. But the squad is the squad. They're popular, and they're the best for far-right propaganda these days on social media. I mean, you would think AOC is the Speaker of the House. Yes. You don't know politics. Yes. But Marjorie Taylor, I was listening to last week's episode earlier today, vibing out to the jazz and, and enjoying <laughs> uh -huh. the show, man. Uh -huh. And... The Marjorie Taylor Greene thing, the one thing that you didn't know, like, like I know you would have said it, is that she didn't run against one other person and win her district like that. She ran against like five other people and won her district because not enough people were paying 
attention. So this populist Trump lover in this hyper-partisan environment got picked out because he was proud. I don't know the other people she was running against, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say at least three of them were the the neo-libertarian types that right. have dominated the establishment. So you're going to go anti-establishment because that's what we do as Americans. Yes. That's how Trump won in 2016. That's how these populists are winning now. They're primarying them. That's what the establishment on the on the Dem side completely fear. And it's it's there in the proof now. We've gone through three election cycles essentially since Justice Democrats have been a thing, right? Yes. Um, or became a thing. Yes. AOC is winning her district. I remember people saying, "Oh, yeah, she's going to get primaried by this other." You know, a, a semi-attractive woman, and if that's a Republican, okay, well, she's not going to lose. Right. But I, uh, I don't think that the establishment needs to run their people in every single race. You saw it on on the Senate side in this past election cycle with Charles Booker in Kentucky. The only reason uh, McGrath won was because of mail-in votes. So many people didn't think that the other person had a chance. So by the time all the protests had picked up, all the you know the win- the winds of change had picked up for lack right. of better way of when Charles Booker was the favorite, how many people had voted? What percentage do you think had already voted that would have voted for Charles Booker if we didn't have mail-in voting? Right, right, and, a much lower, right. And, and, and same goes for a bunch of other places, because most of the places that they lost in the House, they lost because they ran a centrist against a far-right candidate. Why are you running a Republican light against a Republican? Well, what I would ask you to, on, on that particular front, because I've thought about that, so say, you said before that they're districts, right? Some districts, you know, an AOC is good. Some districts might need a more moderate. You know, it's by district. There's different demographics, different issues. I'd ask you this. If it's a district where a far right person could win, what are the chances that a far left person is going to win? I mean, if, if they're going to elect – because the district itself, like a, a right, even center right, would never win an AOC's district because she's so far left. So why would, a, why would a far left win in a district that's willing to elect a far right? Well, I think me and you both agree that Florida is a purple state, but it kind of leans red, right? Yes. They raise the minimum wage. Mm. That's not, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to deflect, but that's a whole state. So right. if we're if we're going district by district, who's to say that some district in Kentucky? Yeah, there has been district. How many districts in America voted for Obama and Trump? So you're making the point that the answer to a district that may be considered purple. The Dems are automatically saying, well, because it's purple, you need a centrist Dem to, to push uneasy people to the left. You're saying that there may be, I think you're saying, there may be populist ideas that the even people who would go populist right might go populist left if they were populist enough. But centrist Dems are so establishment that they're almost like center-right Republicans, and what that district may, given specific districts may want anti-establishment pro-populist, and in those districts, far-left might be a more viable alternative to far-right than center-left. Is that what you're saying? No, exactly. Why, why is, is somebody that's anti-establishment going to vote for the establishment? That's a good why point. Why someone that's populist not going to vote for the Bernie candidate, but was going to vote for the Biden candidate. That's a really like, good point. Make sense. 
And you're and, admitting and, that... And also, right. and also the Dems go out of their way to crush the progressives in the party. They go out of their way to undermine them. They get, they get called a socialist during the primary before a Republican ever has the chance to utter it. We got told for two years, well, we can't run again. We can't run Bernie again. He's just going to get called a socialist. And what happened all of 2020? Biden was called a socialist and a friend of China, and he's a communist. I never knew that the guy that is a glorified Republican light, essentially, right. that votes with Republicans plenty over the last 50 years, which I think is a valid criticism of him and his voting record, right? right. All of a sudden is a Trojan horse for socialism when no, there's no one Democrat that's elected that that calls themselves just a pure socialist. They want to completely switch the government over to socialism. It's it's insane because we're not acting like, to your point before, we're not talking about policy. We're, right. we're using the same rhetoric that, that's from the Cold War. Well, and, yes, and I hear you on that. So I just want to, I want to get into that, and I want to rehash one other thing. No, so would you? I take your point on the district thing with the populism. It's a point I hadn't thought about. I think you're right on it. I think it defeats some of my argument with as far as progressives and centrists. I think it's a a great point that makes a ton of sense. Would you concede that some districts would be more? right for a centrist Democrat and that we should maybe let the primary voters just decide. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I want to say clearly, I believe if, if Marjorie Taylor Greene's crazy ass won a one-on-one -on -one primary, no district, she won her, her election. I think, I don't think she deserves to be voted out. It's right. A two -year, you know, right. Like she got voted in. That's how democracy works. Right. 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 So same goes for anybody that gets voted in. If, a, if the centrist beats the progressive in the primary, that's how you go. I, I just, I just don't see it. it yeah, has I, to be establishment yeah. candidates all the time. The Republicans. There's so many parties within both parties. This is why I have a problem with the two-party system, and this is why I get this, you know, the, the perception that I'm so far left. I'm not far left. I'm just really anti-corruption. I want mm -hmm. more choices. The reason I want to, like, not to go off on a tangent, but the reason I want a popular vote for the president isn't because I only want the lefties to win. It's because we, we could really vote for a third party, and it would be a real election. Yes, and that's a that's a great point. And I, so just a great point. Now delve back into your other argument regarding Biden and, and Bernie. I agree that regardless of who the nominee was, they would throw accusations of them being a socialist, far left, this and that. But wouldn't you say, because it was widely reported on, and, and look, I know people personally who have voted Republican in the past, and anecdotal evidence doesn't count for much, but just for what it's worth, you know, who, who truly, and, and a lot of my circle even, now I'm not saying they wouldn't vote for Bernie against Trump, I'm not saying that, but very, very center-left people, but very center. I mean, wouldn't you say that they would accuse Biden and Bernie both of being a socialist? We know that. We agree. We saw it. Like you said, we saw them accuse Biden 100 percent. You can't deny it. But wouldn't you say that it, it was harder to stick on Biden? And a lot of people who were swing voters or centrists or even Republicans didn't buy that Biden was a socialist, even though they tried. And it would have worked a little better. We can't say for sure, but it might have worked a little better on Bernie, given his record as compared to Biden's. Oh, absolutely. I don't right. think I think you're lying to yourself if you think that a lot of Republicans that voted for Biden would have voted for Bernie. Right. I, the only positive spin on that I could even think of would be Bernie would have more excitement, more ge uh, genuine excitement. Right. And get a bunch of new voters like Trump did. Right. Trump got new voters because he still had this perception of being anti-establishment because of all the conspiracies, yada, yada, yep. yada. So there has to be some percentage of Americans that can vote that have never voted that would have voted for Bernie. I don't know if that would have won, 
I'm not saying that. Yes. I'm just saying that I think it's undeniable that a great amount of Republicans voted for Biden. And that goes to the point that he's not this far left socialist. Right. I, I, and I'm, I, don't, I don't mean that even as an insult or a diss. Yes. I just think it's insane that people really, like a bunch of people that know what they're talking about, were talking to me like Joe Biden is, is Bernie Sanders. And I yes. think it's just happily. <laughs> yes. To your point, and kind of you know show my own cards. In the primary, I was I wanted Biden, not Biden. Sorry, I wanted Bernie, Yang, or Tulsi. Uh huh. Those are three different Democrats. Uh huh. So it wasn't like I'm one of those people that I just you know who knows how I would have voted if it was an actual election between two legitimate candidates in the sense of one's not Trump. Right. That right. Right. You don't know. And and to your point, too, I know what you're saying. And I, I concede that you're right. I mean, we don't know who Bernie might have brought out. And then we also know Biden got 80 million, the most in history. And Trump got the second most in history. So so Biden, obviously, a lot of people voted. It wasn't like he lost. I wouldn't say he had great enthusiasm per se, but he had enough to get the most in history. So I think it was more anti-Trump. But but I don't think we're arguing on that. I think it's just we're just trying to flesh out what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, about. me too. Yeah. And also, the, a lot because my biggest issue with the Democratic establishment is I'm one of the voters that got screwed over in 2016. I, right. You know what I mean? Like, this, yes. this is an establishment that has not cared about me because they know I'm not ever going to go, like, to the Tea Party or Trump. Right, right. So they completely disregard everything I want. And to your point earlier about minimum wage, and, I, and you had made a great point. I'm not here to, to try to act like, oh, well, it has to be in the COVID bill because of COVID. No. Mm-hmm. Your second point is exactly where I go. Well, why, why does it have to be in this bill? Because we can get it done. Yes. Yeah, like, And that's honest. You can't dispute that. that. We could argue that, oh, you shouldn't be sneaking it. But that's just an honest answer. Well, we need to get it done. And I respect that. You know, I mean, that's respectable. That's a real answer. And, and the thing that gets me about the Democrats that are against it, okay, you don't want to hike up the minimum wage to 15 Okay, so we write in this bill that your state doesn't get it, and let's see if your voters like that. Right, right. I mean, yes, yes. I think the better thing to do, this is me talking, this is just my idea. I think I I heard uh, Kyle Kalinske from Secular Talk say say something similar, is instead of saying minimum wage, why don't we say every state has to, their minimum wage is a livable wage? And then it'd be much easier to have West Virginia, because of Joe Manchin, be exempt from this. Well, what I was yes. Well, here's what I think too, and and it goes to that point in 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 this in a certain vein is my only issue. Well, one of my issues with this fifteen dollar minimum wage, and I'm not for or against it. I don't really know what I am. I'm still trying to honestly research it. Here's my thing. To your point, I feel like fifteen dollars is kind of an arbitrary rallying cry they just came up with. I want it to be tied to something like maybe tied to a, a certain percent more than the rate of inflation or tied to a livable wage or the price of, you know, a one-bedroom apartment or the price of business revenues in the state or tie it to something mathematically viable that we can get behind scientifically to boost, you know, incomes but also do the least harm we can to the economy one way or the other. And, and I understand Boosting incomes can help the economy by increasing on the demand side. I'm a demand side 
economic mind like you probably are anyway. So I agree with that. But just tie it to something. My biggest thing is like, okay, you want to just arbitrarily say 15 nationwide with that, and you want to shove it into a bill really quickly. It just seems something about that seems a little unscientific, a little unobjective to me. You know, that that's my concern. I think. I think. Well, you're not wrong that it's, it doesn't seem too scientific, but to that point, fifteen dollars an hour is, is thirty thousand dollars a year. Right. And and to the point that Teddy Roosevelt made, like you know, a hundred years ago, I'm about to say a thousand years ago here, a right? <laughs> hundred years ago. Yes. Is what kind of business are you running that you can't pay a livable wage? Right, right. Like, I understand. Listen, we, we live in a country full of bureaucracy. You're telling me you can't figure out two sentences to fit in the bill that you can offer businesses to provide an exemption for, like, part-time workers or an exemption for certain types of businesses that might not necessarily need a livable wage? But going over to England and France and seeing first world countries where they thought it was weird I was tipping them because they joked with me and said, no, we get paid here. Right, 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 right. You, and that goes to what I've heard from a lot of people is, you know, a lot of the things that we haggle over here. If you go to Europe, you know, other first world countries, they already have it and it's not really disputed. I mean, and look, we could go issue by issue and there's going to be pros. Well, it's better over here. It's better over there. And they have a different population, whatever. But I, I hear your point, And I, I think my, I, you know, I guess what I think is a shame, Charles, honestly, is that if we had a Republican Party or, or the threat of the filibuster being gone or something where we could work with, this should be, in my opinion, in an ideal world, a standalone bill where the type of deliberations you and I are engaging in right now, the back and forth, the, the crafting of legislation for such a large-scale thing would happen. But because we have such a, uh, an obstructionist you know, government right now where they don't want to do anything, you, you, don't, you can't even really do that, right? Because you've got to shove it in somewhere because they're not going to pass it otherwise. That's a shame to me, right? Because it... Why aren't we able to engage in more deliberative processes? And I think it goes to your multi-party point. I think we'd, we had more parties like a parliament. We might be able to do that. But I don't know. It's just a shame. And that's just me talking out loud kind of. Um, well, you, you've heard me say that a, a hundred times already yes. you know, about parliament and what, what I would like to see how we get ran. The reason that they're not getting rid of the filibuster is to protect the minority party, which yes. is always going to be one of the two parties. Yes. The two-party system because of gerrymandering. Yes. The fact that we've crafted this allows them to never do a damn thing what do they do pass what two bills a month it's horrible yeah like which exactly what you're saying it's so obstructionist that they never have these types of conversations because 15 dollars a minimum wage even though it's only thirty thousand dollars a year right i'm somebody that had a job since 14 i've worked three jobs at points in my life mm-hmm mm -hmm. the people that are telling me just to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get a better job either have not looked for work in you know decades or they're full of shit and, and they've had more money than i've ever had in my life right because demanding thirty thousand dollars a year in 2021 isn't that much the federal minimum wage is 725 that's fifteen thousand dollars a year no one can live off that in this country right but now what would you say to people say look most people don't live have to live but most people most jobs even, you go to most companies that even start at minimum wage, most people move up above minimum wage very quickly. What do you, I'm not challenging. I'm just saying, what would you say to that? I mean, you're not supposed I'm, to I'm live on personal it. Personal experience, that quarter that's above the federal minimum wage, don't make that much of a difference. Ten bucks, if 15 bucks an hour is $30,000 a year, and, and what it currently is is $15,000 a year, if you're getting paid 10 
Right. What is that? 14 is less than 30. So where's this livable wage, which is the point of the minimum wage? Everybody wants to act like burger flippers is the only people that get paid minimum wage. And then they want to bring up nurses and cops. And I, I'm always baffled because you don't want to pay the nurses, the cops, and the teachers more. You just want to make sure everyone keeps making less. Right. And I've always, I've always kind of come down on that, that side of things. I think it's – look, I think it needs to be raised. I think the number and the way we do it, again, I think it needs to be deliberated on. Maybe we even have a show with several people kind of together. We could all discuss it You know, just, just for – I think it would be an interesting topic. But, but I, I hear you. I hear you on that. Now, now what – unless you can make another point on the minimum wage too if you want. But I wanted to go back to something else you said because I thought it was interesting. And this would kind of be more of a – more of a – uh, something as you was just a general thinking person as opposed to a specific expertise. But um, finish the thought on the 15 if you have anything. But I was going to say you made a point about how the the Democratic establishment is not afraid of the Democratic base voter because they know you're not going to go ahead and vote right, even though you did. So they're wrong on that at the local level, just saying. But why do you think it is that the right, is so terrified, petrified of their base, but the left doesn't give a crap about their base. Is it because the left is a bigger tent party and the leftist base is smaller? Is it because of just psychology? Is it because the establishment of the right thinks like the base? Is it all of those things? Just in your opinion, I have thoughts, but I want to hear yours. Okay. This might be like the most controversial thing I say <laughs> right now, but I think it is psychological. I think a lot of it is identity politics because mm -hmm. the Republican Party, at least since you know me and you've been out of high school, I think you will agree that they haven't really tried to target me to get my vote ever. Right. So who are they targeting? They're targeting angry straight white men. Yes. That's the identity politics they are playing. Are you a Christian? Are you are you, are you blue collar? Mm -hmm. Oh yada 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 yada. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they then they claim that the other side plays identity politics. We're just American over here. You look like an American. You sound like an American. That's what makes you American is this national, this nationalistic identity. And both sides protect the military-industrial complex. So they wrap up all of our patriotism with the military no matter what we're doing, no matter if we're watching a football game, no matter if we're watching a baseball game. It always comes back to this, and, and it reinforces this sense of patriotism, which they have attached, I mean, they, as in the GOP, mm -hmm. has attached to their identity. Good so to kind of say, they're the socialists over there that want to take away the America that you love. Remember that old America where you had the muscle car in the, in the driveway and the white picket fence? They don't <laughs> right. want that. They want Venezuela. Right, right, right. And I, we all we all have that nostalgia in some way, yet they only tap into and intertwine it with this straight white male anger. It's a very, very good point. And so you're saying that the identity politics is much more wrapped up in it in the in the establishment left is afraid of the identity politics, which I don't love I hate identity politics. I mean I wish you know, even me, and you're like this too. I mean, look, I think there's some attributes in conservative, not conservatism on the national level per se, but there's some attributes in conservatism and conservative ideas and moderate ideas that could greatly benefit people of color, but they've never been courted. And the Republican Party is so concerned with white anger that they don't even bother trying to court them or find so conservative solutions to problems for black and brown people because they don't want to piss off white anger. I mean, 
They're targeting blue-collar white men who who don't even benefit from conservative economics just and because the, of that. Blacks and browns they do have are based in religion. That's where the Christianity right. come, come, yes. comes in. You know how many uh, Latinos in North America are, are Roman Catholic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, they, they, so the way I get treated on the left is how the religious right gets treated. Well, you know, I know you're pro-life. Yes. So I know you're not going to vote that way. Right. And you know what? Great, great parallel. You're right. The religious right was that they didn't care about Trump being completely anti-religious and they were right. They were never going to vote left. Even I read countless, Charles, countless articles of people who were Republicans being interviewed who were Christians. And they were saying, like, I don't I don't think he's Christian. I don't think he's kind. I don't think he's right for the country. But it's just this abortion thing. I don't know if I could ever vote for a Democrat because of that. You're right. Yes. The courts were played down so much. Well, for, for right reasons, because of how tri- terrible he was. But the, he packed the courts. That's what they cared about at the end yes. of the day. Those were all the people that voted for Biden. The people that didn't vote for Biden might right. be the Latinos. Because Texas, right? Take Texas. The There's generations of Mexican-Americans that aren't Mexican-Americans. Their family's just been there since Texas was Mexico. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That Yes. And people don't... People have trouble conceptualizing that the Southwest... Rick and I discussed this one time on a previous podcast, because Rick's from Arizona. We discussed that people have this notion of immigration, of, of Mexican-Americans, as we do in New York, like they moved here. No. They were already there forever, and we annexed that land. That was part of Mexico. Yeah, and those yeah. people are conservative, and those are the same yes. conservatives that are in Miami that yes. are, that are Cuban. Those are not the equal conservatives. Yes, and the, where, the, where the Democrats have messed up countless times is is, is just lumping everybody in to, to oh well, you're all Latinx. I want to tell you somebody <laughs> right. that has Puerto Rican family. Not none of us say Latinx. Right, like, right. That is, most, that is the most made up political BS ever. Latinos are proud. Mexicans, Ecuadorians, Peruvians, Mm -hmm. Cubans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, they're different things. And they all might be Catholic. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? They all might be conservative. But the conservative in Florida is not the conservative in Texas. And that's what the Republican Party got right the last cycle. Yes, yes. They want to acknowledge that Ilan Homar is, is, is different than some of the House reps we have here from Jersey, right? Yes. No, no, no. We all got to vote blue no matter who. You know, that's a great point. And let me ask you to, to, to going down that path now. Do you think in this country, and especially as a person of color, to be honest, I mean, you know, isn't there something to be said for both sides? Like you just pointed out, like categorizing everything in identity to the point that they're almost dehumanizing, even when they claim to be fighting for people of color or whatever. Isn't there some BS in there? widespread categorization of people and taking for granted well their positions on everything and acting like they're one monolithic voting block when there's such diversity in it are both sides guilty of that isn't that a problem right now well that's why exactly why i snuck in that line about the military industrial complex the establishment knows what they're doing right and i don't i didn't bring that up for no reason and i have a point so the same people that last year when I was protesting police uh, brutality and systemic racism, right. that wanted to make it about the flag and all that other stuff. You yep. already alluded to it. Where's that now? Where's that yep. patriotism now, right? And, and on the left, they didn't hear any of that. They were saying, I don't care that Aunt Jemima isn't Aunt Jemima anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. The, 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 the fake, uh, you know, the vapid platitudes that both sides do 
are there and they're obvious. They're right. just they're, like so, and you know, because once again, me and you were talking before yes. Obama. So it's not you. I, I was a critic of Bush. I never liked the Iraq War, but right. and ISIS is, it was a clusterfuck. And who is going to be the first black leader of the Department of Defense? Right. Right. What's, what's, his, what's his resume? Right. Military. Oh, no, oh, wait, no. I'm supposed to just be happy he's black. I'm sorry. Right. 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 Yeah, your well, ideological you're bent. You're a woman vice president. Right. There's lots of more black dudes than right. almost anybody else, but she's a woman. Right. 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 Your ideological bent is not necessarily dictated by your race. And I find it interesting because I've had the unique, I want to say, privilege of you're, I'm somebody, like you said, you've known for years. I have the unique privilege of being able to be white, have some conservative ideas, and not be accused of just being conservative because I'm white. Which is, which if you don't know me, they accuse me of that. But if you know me, you know, well, this is Larry. This is just why he thinks this way because he's always been this way. And this is, but there's so much. A jazz show, so most yeah. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, the jazz helps. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, it's a real, real problem that it's just you're supposed to be happy with the identity over the ideology, and it's just I find it dehumanizing. I find I find it to be a, a real, real problem. And I would ask you this too: you, you mentioned Aunt Jemima, and this is why I'm going to ask you this. <laughs> and it's funny that I even say that because that's where we are in 2021. When we talk about cancel culture, which you eloquently put, F, cancel culture, and I'm. Is there something to be said? Now, look, I know we may have different opinions on certain crime, criminal justice aspects. I don't think so. I think at root we agree. But, you know, given where I'm, where I am and where you are, we sometimes talk about it. But look, is there some level of covert racism on the left when they say we got rid of Aunt Jemima, be happy instead of let me move a a a poorer block in a in a racially segregated city that we redlined next to me so that we can actually be equal. I, no, no, I'm gonna remove Aunt Jemima from my syrup and I'm gonna let somebody out of jail over here back into this neighborhood that I don't live in. Therefore, be happy. Isn't there some covert racism to left people, especially white people on the left, who think those tokenist type little olive branches for lack of a better term are enough it's there there, but last year 2020 had global protests the biggest civil rights protests in 50 years Mm -hmm. 60 or 40 years you know Mm -hmm. whatever right and they were everybody defund the police which rhetorically was bad but the message was about reallocating funds to the community right at the police surplus right right which got lost and and got demonized by the people on the left right and then the vice president they choose is one of the hardest uh hard on crime democrats there are but everybody's supposed to accept it because kamala harris is half indian and half jamaican right that that's just that that doesn't make sense i have family that are like, I heard what she said on guns. I, I heard what she said about the people she locked up for nonviolent offenses. How are the Democrats going to act like they're for this Black Lives Matter movement and then put her into that position? I hear you. And that's illogical. Now, just full disclosure, I'm a fan of Kamala Harris. I think she's mischaracterized by the left a lot. I don't think that because you're a prosecutor. Like, for instance, they say, oh, she locked up all these people because they had truant children. But in reality, she never locked up one parent. What she did was threaten to lock them up because it was an old law that was on the books, and that actually caused student attendance to go up 
in the black community, I just think there's something to be said to being hard on crime and how that can actually help the black community because victims of crime are predominantly in the black community too. So putting away criminals doesn't always hurt black people. I, I don't... No, no, you're right. And, my, and, and I'm glad you said that right. because my, my issue with Kamala Harris wasn't only... It just kind of ignored a lot of what people were saying in 2020. Yes, but yes. But as you know, I predicted that, that, that ticket before George Floyd was murdered. Right. And then look, and I'm not, we can disagree on Kamala too. Like that's fair. That's fine. And your point is well taken that you're not supposed to just accept her ideologically because of her color. I was just bringing that up for full disclosure to talk about that. And I think to, to my other point, I think that's part of the racism too, though, right? I think some white people even be like, well, if you lock people up, you're therefore a racist. Like, well, wait, wait a minute. What if, well, what about the victims? Actually go the other way. Huh? Because Kamala Harris had the same beliefs. Right. But with a white dude. Yes. Like, yes. You have so much more support. Yes. So, right. So, and, it, and it's, you know, the same, we're pretty much agreeing here and saying the same things. Right. Like, criminal justice doesn't only affect black people. Right. Not, like, obviously, I'm not trying to say that. But I'm also saying at the same time, there's massive, multiracial coalition of people that were protesting systemic racism. And you had someone with a questionable background. Yes. I don't, you know, me and you could do a whole pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but but if that if she wasn't a brown woman yes. and she was a white guy, yes. then she had been chosen on the merit to be the vice president right. based off the year we had. That's a great, great, great way to put it because I'm telling you and you and I agree. If she was a white man with the same exact resume, there's no way in hell she would have got the nomination because of that. Whether we agree or disagree on the resume or whether it's good or bad, we both know that she wouldn't have got it and that she got it. I, I get it. I, I, it's well taken. And I, I think your whole point is well taken. Whether we agree or disagree on her specifically, your point is ideologically in a time where we had issues with, with the criminal justice system so vehemently, we're supposed to be happy with a, a prosecutor who has that record, which may or may not be questionable depending on how we debated it or whatever, because of her skin color and background ethnically. And that's yeah, that's a great point. Question. That's exactly yeah. what I it's it, it's a loaded question that we could do a whole pot on yes. the the implicit racism of both parties. Right? right. And the implicit racism that they think that all blacks vote one way. Right. Like I know plenty of very conservative black people folks. Like I, I know plenty of very conservative Puerto Ricans. It's 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 insane to me that the Democratic Party just assumes not white people are definitely going to vote for them. Right, 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 right. And, that's, and that takes them for granted. And it's a problem. Whether you and, and by the way, whether you're further left and of color and you think they're taking you for granted by being too far right, or whether you have some conservative values and some of the people yelling at you, oh, we got to be, you know, you need Bernie in your life or whatever. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying they don't all agree with all of that, too. Some of them own small businesses and they don't like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want all that. But making them like, oh, you're going to vote for me no matter what I shove in your face is implicitly racist. Now, Rick's saying that he disagrees and he said Kamala got more votes because of ethnic backgrounds, not less. But aren't, that's what we're saying, right? We're saying she would have got less had she been white. She got more. Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm saying she, she definitely got votes. Yes. Her own merit in, in one sense. But yes. if she was so popular, she would have did better in the primary. Yes. And I, and I agree with that, too. And I think, like, yeah, I agree. I mean, I liked her for some of her resume, but I'm Larry. You know our disagreements and things with, with that. But 
Yeah, I mean, to your points, well taken. I mean, she didn't win the primary. She didn't do very well. I mean, she w- she was palatable to centrists too, like Biden. But she she she. I, I take your point. I think Rick maybe misconstrued what he said. Of course, she wouldn't have had gotten it if she was a white guy. Biden committed to picking a woman as a running mate. Yes, he did, and he was going to pick the senator from Minnesota. Yes, her name is me right now. Yes, who who. If I'm going to put my cards out of the table, I'm happy he did, and I'm happy he picked Kamala for all of her flaws, too, because I don't think there would have been as much enthusiasm for Klo- uh, for Klobuchar if there was. Agreed. It, how little it we're talking. We're talking a few percentage points, but when we're voting in the millions, 3% matters. Yes. And by the way, Charles, I mean, I think we would agree, too. I mean, if we put the same hypothetical, white woman, same resume, I still don't think she would have got the nomination. So, I mean, well, I think it stands. Klobuchar was the one they were really kind of saying that might be his running mate, and then it became Harris. I, I, I was, I, as, I, as you know from the status, I flaunted it because I, I got something right. right. <laughs> yes. I, I, it was Harris, right? Yes. But I, I don't know, man. It, it, that's, but that's part of the establishment, too, because there was uh, plenty of people on the far left saying, imagine if Biden picked me, like, a progressive like Nina Turner. Right, right, like, yes, yes. How enthusiastic the base would have been, and you would have got all the same people that were enthusiastic about Kamala Harris. Right, right. Good point. That's a good. It's a good point. It, it, it's it, uh, your point because we're talking about you know identity politics is very very well taken, and and we agree on it. I mean, I think it's you, your example makes a ton of sense, and it and it's and, and, and I know it's the logic pod, right? Yes. But I, I, I'm, I, that, that's my emotional response to all this because at the end of the day, politics is emotional a lot of the time. The right. logic comes in with passing the minimum wage with the COVID bill. Right, that's right. That's where my logic comes in. Yes. Emotionally, emotionally yeah, pass it by itself because it deserves it. I know logically that's not going to happen. Right. So put it in the COVID bill. Right. Which is which is honest and logically honest, which makes sense. And I, I think... Look, with, when we talk about the whole identity politics and everything, I mean, look, I'm, I'm talking an ideal world, but my dreams to get to an ideal world where we are debating policy. And I th- look, you and I, I think because, look, we grew up around a lot of different types of people, a lot of white people, a lot of everything of people. We knew, you know, we're in New Jersey. There's, you know, every race and ethnicity possible. So I think we exist in a world where people exist on their own merit and race is just kind of an ancillary thing most of the time. And most of the world well, we doesn't exist there. A good area for that because yes, our class, like say our you know from class of like oh four to class of twenty ten, right? Yes. Overall, the area where we grew up, like I'd say something high up, like eighty percent wouldn't let any racist shit fly. Yeah, we just didn't grow up like that, right? But 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 it's different. And 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 the crazy part is, and this is my opinion. This is not. This is this is more anecdotal than yeah. than, than empirical evidence. Right. But. We're more partisan now than we were when we were in high school. We definitely are. The kids that are chanting build the wall at a, at a Latino basketball team, that wasn't going to happen when we were in high school. Hell no. Hell, I mean, not, not, not that it's good, but like... No, you're right. Hell no, bro. No, wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have like happened. We, didn't, we, we, we went to school after 9-11, and in the area we grew up in... We never worried about our Muslim classmates getting picked up. Never. You're right. You're right. We re- it wasn't a thing. Period. But and also, you're in, in this. And, and to your credit, bro, you're not a racist. You've never been a racist. <laughs> right. So in your heart of hearts, and I've said this to so many of my friends that are just conservative, and they don't. Oh, I'm not racist. So how am I getting called racist? Well, if this politician walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, he might be a racist duck. Right, you know? right, right. So, so if you're if you're going to defend this racist, and I got this too, 
after right. you know, protesting and all this other stuff. And they're like, how could you vote for Biden after this? Want to know why? Because I'm not voting for Trump and, and throwing my vote away on a third party I don't even believe in because I didn't like the Green Party candidate. <laughs> right. For the uh, candidate. How is that any better? Right. Don't tell me what to do with my vote. And I, but I also hated the vote blue no matter who. No. Yes. That's so stupid. But yeah. identity politics was put on the left with the cancel culture, the SJW, the woke BS. Yes. And it, and it was like the same people that are saying they hate cancel culture and hate the glorification and idolization of celebrities voted for one. I know. Yup. <laughs> yup. Yup. So and my I'm point... Sorry, did the Dems elect yeah. two actors in the last 50 years? No. Right. Ronald Reagan wasn't a Democrat, but he is the reason that there's a bunch of gun laws in California that yes. Democrats get blamed for. Yes. Yes. That's also true. And, and to your point, and what I was talking about with growing up the way we do, I think we are able to see people on their own merit and debate the merits of things because of our lucky enough to, to have that upbringing. I dream of a world where nationwide we can kind of have a dialogue that doesn't depend on, you know, identity, depends on ideas. Because even when I was watching the impeachment and I saw the different House members stand up, they were different genders, different races. Everything like that was beautiful because isn't the vision, even though the Founding Fathers didn't practice what they preached per se, and even though it's taking us time, isn't, at least in my and your head, I think, isn't our vision for America this truly de democratic place where if you looked at the House of Representatives, it literally was this pan-global you know, uh, array of different cultures, people, genders, races coming together to run a democracy. Isn't that the ultimate goal? And if that's the goal, then it can't – party and idea shouldn't be based on race. And unfortunately, we're very far away from that. But well, it's just saying. Is that true to what you just said? Yeah, that's the goal to us. But yes. That's why we get thrown on the left because the identity politics on the right, well, that's just some – PC garbage you just spouted. Why does right. it have to be multicultural? Yes. No, you're you're right. And you, you know what? There's one side. That's what I find interesting, right? On, on one side, you can debate the merits of the criminal justice system. You could debate the merits of cancel culture. You could debate the merits of drug legalization. You could debate them. But there's another side right now, not the whole side, but it's becoming more and more predominant on that side, especially with Trumpism. There's another side that says... My goal is to destroy multiculturalism and to keep people down on the basis of identity. And that's undeniable, and that's the battle we're currently fighting. We can't get to the ideas because they're still around. That's a good well, point. Well, that's where I, I point out because, you know, you're a lawyer, so you know words, right? Mm -hmm. That's fascism. And yes, that's exactly yes. what happened on January 6th. Yes. And, but, but when I say that, because I don't like the fascism, I'm disqualified because instead of the the Republican Party holding up to their ideals, you got the bootlickers like Lindsey Graham just catering to it. Yes. And, and, and I never thought I would see a world after 2012 where I would be saying to myself almost 10 years later that more Republicans should be like Mitt Romney. Right, right. Yeah, right. That's where we are. That's where we are at this point. Yes. Where we have to say more Republicans should be like Mitt Romney. That really is what we've come to. It's it's crazy. Mitt Romney, for all for what it's worth, I respect Mitt Romney. He got so much trash the last four years. He was out there marching with Black Lives Matter. Yes. Was doing it for a photo op. No, he Dude, wasn't. No. He's done a lot of things. Yeah. One thing he he's been very consistent on is his beliefs. Yes. Yes. Like he, he so I I of course he voted for Trump. 
with, with everything that Trump wanted because Trump didn't do anything. There was no policy there. The policy was being controlled by right. Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell. Yes, right. And, and right. And that's where the, the credibility and objectivity comes in. There's a guy who actually believes in America and believes in equality. He might not have known how to get there when he was a hedge fund manager. He thought he was doing the right. But now he's inspected. And he's like, no, I truly don't believe in racism. I truly believe this is fascism. I truly believe in the promise of America. I'm against this principally. And you have to respect that, you know? I, and, I, and I just think it's crazy because the one person that I, I've heard in the last couple of weeks that I thought, well, you got to respect that mm-hmm. is because Ted Cruz does a half-hearted, I mm-hmm. think it's a, a bad faith gesture with AOC. I forget which bill they were. It was. Yeah, it was the, yeah, the, I think it was the, was it the, uh, the GameStop thing you're talking about? Yeah, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The GameStop thing had them agreeing and, yeah. Jared and, uh, and you know, one of uh, Trump's offspring agreeing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a bad faith argument, man. You were yeah. saying, you, you the same people that voted to impeach Bill Clinton over a blowjob, or lying about a blowjob, I'm right. sorry. And not, not because he, he abused his power with an intern. That's not what he was getting impeached. Right, about. nope, yep. Okay, I just want to clarify that historically speaking. <laughs> right, right, right. That, that, that 10 years later, they didn't want to hold Wall Street accountable and do more regulations because that was socialism. Yes. Like, if you remember, 20-year-old me, 21-year-old me, I'm 31 now. When I was talking about occupying with you, uh huh, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. I was trashing Obama over that for protecting Wall Street. Yeah, and here I am with my Robinhood app, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, the free market is broken, and we need to put some regulations in. Right, so, right. I just think it's crazy because I'm still talking about the same shit. Yeah, we the were hypocrisy, about in high yes, we are talking about it consistently, and the hypocrisy based on the changing whims of what's advantageous to them continues to just go where the wind goes, and it's ridiculous. And they fucking gave us fascism. <laughs> no credibility whatsoever. The, the conservative part that wants to be more free gave us fascism. How ironic is that? I mean, we saw it coming, but it's ironic. Nationalistic semi-religious fascism like there's some christianity bullshit that's worked in there where there's plenty of people that believe trump was sent by god and Mm -hmm. and and they say praise trump and they chant that jesus crap in the capitol at Mm -hmm. the insurrection there's video it's just crazy this isn't even me being hyperbolic this is the stuff i watched and i'm sitting in a world where now i'm getting called political because i watched People storm my Capitol building, chanting things, looking for, like, and what you said before, we don't know what they would have done if they found AOC, but I have plenty of females in my family. I have an older sister. I have younger cousins. I just, I just want, like, the fear isn't that they were going to hang her. Right, right. There's plenty of worse things that could happen to a female. Yes, yes. So, so when you have hundreds of dudes with guns and zip ties storming the Capitol, that is an insurrection. And, <laughs> yes. and, and people get mad at me because I just lived. This hasn't been a calendar year. It hasn't been 365 days since I was marching out in the streets of Asbury. And people were worried about my well-being because if somebody else acted up, it might be me with a rubber bullet in my face. Or it might be me right. in the street. Right. And these people have the audacity and the privilege mixed together to storm the Capitol <laughs> mm-hmm. and look for people with weapons and then get mad when they get charged. <laughs> right. True story. Bro, that's a great point. That's a great point to end on because we went for a little over an hour. I got to oh, say no, this was – No, it's not your fault. No. <laughs> No, and we could, but like, and it's just a matter of, I just want to get some calls and if they want to call to kind of respond, because I think you kind of got some excitement going and everybody talking, so I want to see if I can get some calls from it. But 
Um, it was a pleasure to have you on, and it was a pleasure to going back and forth. I think I'm going to keep getting guests back on that, that were really good. So you should come back on on any topic. We'll, we'll pick a topic. We'll arrange for it. Come back on the show, discuss it more. I'm going to post the links to the Dope blog uh, on, the, on the Facebook page. Uh, make sure you share this show because it was a great oh, conversation, yeah, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, the, the only time on my blog, on my podcast, on, on Apple po- on Podcasts and Spotify, that I even got remotely political, I took three months off last year after George Floyd. I pretty much took yes. the summer off yes. back in, in September. And I had to acknowledge it was because of everything going on in the world. So this is the, actually the first time I'm doing a podcast strictly on politics. Yeah, so that's and you had fun with it, and you did great with it. So it was a pleasure for everybody. I, I, I was trying not to curse as much as my my body was like, just drop a fucking here. Yeah, but no, it's fun, and, and you and you got away with it. It was fun, so you know you got to let loose every now and then. It's Friday night, you know. It's Friday night, so well, my pod, my pod has the explicit thing on it. I didn't see it on yours, so I don't want to get you in trouble. No, nah, yeah, we're we're fine. I gotta put I gotta add the disclaimer later too because I forgot to say it. But Charles, great having you on. Uh, hopefully, you you come on again soon. Make sure everybody tries to you know listens to this. That's your fans. We'll do the same with your cast. And uh, we'll arrange to have you back on soon. Thanks so much for coming on and dropping your knowledge and, and sharing your perspective with us. I think it was really beneficial, brother. Thanks, man. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate it, and I would love to come back on. You keep it up, man. This is an awesome show. Love yeah. the jazz. Thanks, oh, thanks, bro. And you'll be back soon, so have a good night, brother. You too. Later. Great call. Great call. Just another great person. Another great person that I've encountered through life who, who has their own perspective and their own professional uh, experience to bring to the table and who has a, a unique, great perspective. It just enhances the conversation so, so much. And that's what we're going to keep doing on this show. Any phone calls, you know the number, 973-536-2530, 973-536-2530. Uh, hit, the, hit the box. We got a, boy, man, We got like 25% on this little phone still going, so we got some time to take some calls. I'm willing to take a couple calls. Uh, get your thoughts on what we talked about. Get your thoughts on whatever else is going on. Would love to hear from you. Um, and as I always say, you want to come on the show, just reach out to me. I mean, Charles and I have been talking back and forth for a while about it. And uh, I, I arranged this date. He was down. We we talked this morning, just confirmed it. And he was back on the show. And, uh, and it was another. Every time we do these interviews, too. These interviews are like an hour long, and they, they fly. It's like it's 10 minutes because we're just so lost in conversation and it just flows. And I always glance at the comments while we're talking and everybody's usually like into it. They're vibing with it. And uh, it's always it's 1115 already. Jeez. I mean, it's it's crazy what we got going on. But um, 973-536-2530. I saw some of you had some opinions in there so you can call up and voice them. I mean, I'm not, you know, me. I'm a, it's it's winding down now, so I'm not going to go back and forth with you like crazy or whatever. But anybody's got opinions or anything they want to talk about, 973-536-2530. Somebody new should call, too. I know Rick's, Rick does his duty, but, you know, other people can call, you know, and drop some little knowledge or a little bit of a perspective here and there. You know, you don't always just get to sit back and listen and just rock out with the jazz, as Charles pointed out. And once in a while, you know, drop a little comment in here. You know, it's okay. He can do it. But, um... No, if not, that's fine. We had a long show. I think the monologue got some points across. I think uh, Charles got a lot of points across. I think it was a great conversation for everybody to kind of vibe with. And uh, that was great. That was great. So, 973-536-2530. I'll give it till... 
give it till maybe two, three more minutes, and then I'll, I'll wind down for the evening. So feel free to call. If not, just rock out with the music. And uh, I'm actually, I'm taking next next week off because I have a volunteer commitment I have to attend to. And I want to, last time we did the, um, last time we did the, I did this volunteer commitment. I had to rush to get to the podcast. And so while I gave effort to it, obviously it was more rushed than I wanted to be. It couldn't have taken as much of a prominent role as I usually do. So this Friday I'm taking off the podcast. I'm just going to dedicate my energy to that volunteer commitment. Um, I may or may not take the following week off just to take a breather. Uh, and then I'll be back live and I'm going to be booking guests. I'm going to be booking guests really soon for those, um, for those coming coming weeks and i'll be having some recurring guests definitely gonna have charles back on gonna have neil back on gonna have sean political action bracken back on uh, i'm gonna have a couple people on even some of you wallflowers out there i'm gonna have you come on as a guest so you can't slip out again in terms of calls and that'll be something so but you know what it is uh it is almost 11:30 at night so I think at this point, I'm just going to take it down. We had a great conversation. Any other input? A lot of you guys already discussed things on the comments, so there's not much need to go crazy and continue to uh, take calls. You guys had another great night with me. I had a great night with you. Continue the battle. Continue the standing on that line. Continue pushing objectivity. Standing up for objectivity and the intellectual truth. And continue to come on here and vibe with me on Friday nights because it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you guys, to see you guys talking to each other, and to provide content and music so we could all vibe and go through the current events of the day and the conversations of the day together. There's really nothing like it. And I appreciate and love being on with you guys. So I will see you in a couple weeks. I might do a pre-recorded version next week or the week after. And uh, I'll see you soon. If not, you'll just have to hear from me in two weeks. Go back and listen to the, some of the old episodes. See you guys all very soon. It was a pleasure being with you. Until next time, I'm signing off. Good night. <laughs>